Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. So is this the end of the line for South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem? You're like, what? Just a couple weeks ago, she was potentially the next president of the United States or vice presidential candidate for Donald Trump if he runs again. And, you know, we fall in love with these politicians all the time. Uh, we want to, you know, we're, we want to believe. But as uh, my good friend Ginny Thomas once said to me, you know, we're the leaders we've been waiting for. Putting your faith in some of these other people can always fail you. Now, I'm not ready to give up on Governor Christy Noem just yet. I have my issues with her, and especially some of the votes when she was in Congress. But is this the end of the line? What happened? I'll get to that story today. And is this the first battle in the, I have this in quotes, the GOP is tired of the BS war. Today's show brought to you by ExpressVPN. For peace of mind online, get a VPN. Don't wait. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Let me get right to it. I got that. Also, a big, big update on a topic I haven't discussed in a long time. Getting like attacked by my microphone here. Spygate and Mike Flynn. The framing of Mike Flynn just got even uglier, believe it or not. I'm not giving this story up. It's a fascinating tale what the government could do to you when they hate your guts. All right, today's show brought to you by our friends at Fast Growing growing Trees. What? You probably upgraded a few things around the house after being stuck inside. It makes sense. Now it's time to turn your yard into a paradise with my new favorite company here, fastgrowingtrees.com. Yeah. Skip the big box stores and head to fastgrowingtrees.com, the world's largest online nursery. Love the guys and ladies over there. No more waiting in lines, messy cars that happen to me, or digging through a lackluster section, just go to fastgrowingtrees.com and choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs, and plants expertly curated to thrive in your area and delivered to your door in one or two days. No more guesswork. Whether you're looking for shade, privacy, fruit trees like I have, I have an orange and a a lemon tree, or just added color for your yard, every plant is shipped with a well-developed root system ready to explode with growth this spring. Paula just got some azaleas for our outdoors too. She loves them. That's her thing. She once called them azaleas one time. Don't tell her I said that, but she got some azaleas one time. True story back in Maryland. There's a better way to buy trees and shrub plants for your home and yard. Fastgrowingtrees.com and get plant care and growing advice at your fingertips 24-7. Live plant experts are a phone call away seven days a week. Plus, they have a 30-day alive and thrive guarantee. It means your plants will arrive happy, healthy, and ready for planting. Now, through June 20th, go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Bongino for 15% off. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash Bongino. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash Bongino. Go today. All right, Joe, let's go. There it is. All right, let's do it. So is this the end of the line for Governor Christy Nome? Uh the short answer is, I don't know. I refuse to be reactionary about candidates on the positive or the negative candidates and political office holders. I'm not going to do it. I never got too into the Christy Nome thing when she was trending as a potential presidential candidate in 2024 if President uh, Trump doesn't run. And I'm not going to get too down on her because maybe she can fix what happened. But I will tell you this, and I'll explain what happened in a minute using this great article in The Federalist by the fantastic Margot Cleveland, who, by the way, just a side note, was great on the Mike Flynn case, too, because she's wonderful and super smart and a brilliant legal mind. But I will tell you this. This is, I believe, the first battle in the new the GOP is tired of the BS war. You know, folks, if there's one thing Donald Trump taught Republican voters, it said we should dump the sellouts, that you can fight back. You don't have to accept the first media narrative you hear. You don't have to apologize if you didn't do anything wrong. As a matter of fact, not only do you not have to apologize if you did nothing wrong, Trump lesson number one was flip everyone the double-barreled middle finger back if you didn't do anything wrong and they demand you apologize. Here's what you're going to get you're going to get the double barrel instead. Trump left a legacy in the GOP. He may reignite if he runs again in 2024, but I'll tell you right now, the rank and file MAGA voters and the Republican crowd out there now that showed up in numbers to 75 million plus to vote for Donald Trump are tired of sellouts. 
And I'll say to Christy Nome or anyone else out there, I'm not trying to bash her or pile on. If you think you are going to be a leader in the Republican Party going forward and you don't stand on principle that the GOP is ready to throw you overboard like that, gone, see you later, have a nice day. Don't let the door hit you in the, you know, kabooserooski on the way out. People are tired of it. There, if there was a, a biological mechanism known as a BS meter, the GOP voters' BS meter is absolutely pegged. So what happened? Check out this article at The Federalist. Bowing to corporate demands for watered-down bill, Governor Kristi Noem sells out women's sports. This is by Margot Cleveland. What happened was Governor Nome in South Dakota was presented a bill, HB 1217. HB 1217 did something that would have been, uh, I mean, entirely uncontroversial and totally unnecessary two decades ago. Said, you know, we think women should compete in women's sports because it's for women. You're like, wait, what? Yes, yes, that's that was the bill. So Governor Noam didn't want to sign the bill. So Margot Cleveland has a really thorough piece. Now, I'm going to give you both sides of this. I'm going to give you Christy Noam's side as well, why she refused to sign the bill. And I'm going to give you Margot Cleveland's side as to why this is ridiculous. I'm going to play a cut of uh, her on Tucker Carlson last night trying to defend it. But here's what this bill did. As finalized by the South Dakota legislature, Section 1 of HB 1217 provided that athletic teams and sports in the state of South Dakota including at institutions of higher learning, must be expressly designated as male, female, or co-educational. It also stipulated that teams or sports designated as female must be available only to participants who are female based on their biological sex. Again, this would have been, this bill um, just a few years ago would have been entirely uncontroversial and maybe unnecessary because people would have been like, wait, of course, women are to compete in women's sports. Well, you would think Governor Nome would have signed that bill right away. I mean, this is a hot issue in the culture wars right now. Well, she didn't. Which a lot of conservatives, again, in the opening salvo of the Republicans and conservatives are tired of the BS war. A lot of conservatives, upon hearing she refused to sign, she didn't veto the bill, precision matters. She refused to sign it as it was sent to her desk, conservatives erupted on social media and are now ready to throw Christy Nome completely. If there was a ship at sea, right? A ship at sea, presidential candidates for 2024 or 2028, if Donald Trump doesn't run in 2024, right? That Christy Nome was thrown right overboard. The outcry on social media was really something to behold. What was Christy Nome's Reasoning for not signing a bill requiring women to compete in women's sports. Here's Christy Nome on Tucker last night. And, and again, I'm not trying to pile on. I mean it. I, I like Christy Nome. I don't. Some of her votes in Congress when she was the representative for South Dakota in the House of Representatives were disastrous. Her record is on votes. While a congresswoman was not particularly conservative, it's important we put that out there. But I'm always willing to give someone a second look. I want to be fair. So here's Christy Noem last night in what I think any reasonable person would deem a disastrous appearance on the Tucker Carlson show. Basically last night saying legal scholars and the NCAA influenced her decision to not sign the bill. It 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 did not it 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 didn't go well. Check this out. Because what it would do is it would put a law in the books that would allow the NCAA to take punitive action against our state. And we're a small state, Tucker. Uh, we've had to fight hard to get any tournaments to come to South Dakota. When they took punitive action against us, we would have to litigate. And legal scholars that I have been consulting with for many, many months say that I would very likely lose those litigation efforts. And I don't think oh, that so families you're saying, in so South hold Dakota, on, just to be clear, it's I not the bill. That you're saying have to sue that the many times over and over again. But wait, wait, wait. So you're saying the NCAA threatened you and you don't think you can win that fight. They said, if you sign this, we won't allow girls in South Dakota to play. And you don't think you can win in court, even though the public overwhelmingly supports you nationally. 
And so you're caving to the NCAA. I think that's what you're saying. No, that's not right at all, Tucker. In fact, you're wrong completely. Okay. I've been working on this issue for years. In fact, several years ago, I fought I fought USDA to make sure that 4-H rodeo and that the sport of rodeo could keep girls' events, girls' events, and boys' events, boys' events. So I've been working on this for many, many years. And back since November, I've been consulting with legal scholars and professors across the country, asking them, how do I protect women's sports. And they've gone through the steps to how I would legally challenge the NCAA and keep them from bullying the state of South Dakota. And what they've told me to do is that I need to build a coalition. So that's why today I launched DefendTitle9Now.com. Um, that's weak. I'm, I'm really sorry. I don't, again, I'm not trying to pile on Christy Nome. I don't like Republican on Republican political attacks if they're not necessary. I, I believe we need to keep our eyes on the real prize here, but that was weak. I'm very sorry. You know, I'll invite, how do you feel about this, uh, Guy? I'll, we'll invite Christy Noam publicly on the show. You cool with that? Joe, how do you feel about that? And bring it on. Bring it on, right? right? I'll invite you on the show. You're happy to defend, but that that was very weak. Yeah. Legal scholars and the NCAA have somehow got between you and the bill and your pen and signing it. Now, while, again, I told you I'd give both sides. While there may be a specific legal issue with the bill targeting women's sports and preventing biological males from playing in women's sports, and in other words, not preventing biological women from playing in men's sports, there may be some due process issue there, some equal opportunity issue there that that would find its way to courts. While that may be the case, and maybe it could have been written a little clearer, and I have no problem with with that portion of it to make it stand that maybe a few edits, that does not excuse, I believe, what Christy Nome did in striking, as Margot Cleveland says, two full sections of the bill. She's saying, well, I don't think it's going to stand in court because the NCAA will sue us and legal scholars told me so. All right. Well, maybe you address and tinker around the edges with some of the writing there to make sure it keeps men and men's sports, women and women's sports, boys and boys sports, girls and girls sports. And if not, that the teams are deemed co-ed, you know, men and women playing sports together all the time. They're men and women's softball teams, soccer teams, whatever it may be, volleyball teams. It's not a huge deal, but that's not what she did. As Margot Cleveland points out, let's go to screenshot two from her excellent piece. A really brilliant legal mind. She says, first, Christy Nome requested the legislature strike section two of the bill, which would have required students to annually verify their age, biological sex based on genetics and reproductive biology and attest that they had not taken performance enhancing drugs, including anabolic steroids in the preceding 12 months. Noam justified deleting this provision because it created an unworkable administrative burden on schools who under its terms must collect verification forms from every student athlete every year. Ah, ah, wait. Margot Cleveland says, wait, 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 wait. This rationale seems suspect given that schools usually already collect parental permission forms and medical certification to allow students to participate in athletics every year. Further noting in section two, it requires schools to quote, monitor these disclosures throughout the year of uh, throughout the year although Nome suggested it did oh for, excuse me further nothing in section 2 requires schools to monitor these disclosures although Nome suggested it did so is Christy Nome being straight about section 2 of the bill and my candid answer here is i don't think she is These forms are already on file. You already have to do some form of a medical disclosure to play college sports, high school sports. Even uh, I I believe when my daughter in grammar school played volleyball, she had to get a checkup first. There's nothing in that paper, in that billy that requires this monitoring like Christy Noem said either. So again, I don't believe she's being straight. This is a really hot issue right now, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I, I'd like to see both sides of it. I don't pile on anyone unnecessarily, but honesty does matter here. And it seems like that's not exactly what we got there. 
So not only did she strike section one, section two, excuse me, but there were other portions of the bill she struck out of it too in refusing to sign it. Back to the Margot Cleveland piece. Uh, piece. She says, in other words, section one demanded schools, including colleges, limit women's sports to women. If an education institution violated that mandate and allowed a male student to join a female team, Section 4 of the South Dakota bill provides that a female athlete injured by that violation could sue the school and obtain an injunction to prevent the continued violation and damages to remedy the harm. Section 4 of the bill added a second protection for South Dakota student-athletes. It also protected students from retaliation if they report violations of the act to a school rep a state or federal government entity with oversight authority or an athletic association. Thus, for instance, if a female basketball player complained to an athletic department that a coach had allowed a male athlete to join her team and the school responded by banning the student from school sports, the female student would be entitled to sue the school for retaliation. So Section 4 gives some legal teeth to the bill. If a female who's injured by a male in female sports reports this violation, it gives her the ability to sue. So why did Christy Nome then take out and strike from Section 4 the college athletes portion of it, the college portion of it? In other words, not making this bill apply to colleges. I don't know, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled by it. Because she's suggesting somehow that and she suggested in the uh, in that video and that audio uh, you heard from Tucker Carlson her interview last night. If you watch the whole thing, it's seven minutes long, and you can check it out if you'd like to. She seems to suggest that the NCAA. She's afraid of the NCAA suing her, as if they're violating some policy by keeping. Just to be clear, by keeping women in women's sports and girls in girls sports and designated co-ed teams as such. But that's not what's going to happen. The NCAA, the ACLU and others may sue South Dakota, but Christy Nome doesn't seem familiar with the NCAA's actual rules on women in women's sports. Margot Cleveland to the rescue again. She says, quote, the NCAA does allow a male, quote, student athlete being treated with testosterone suppression medication for gender identity disorder or gender dysphoria. Uh, to compete on a woman's team after completing one calendar year of testosterone suppression treatment. That's the NCA rule. Everybody tracking? However, however, nothing in this NCAA policy requires a college or university to treat a male student athlete as female. Given the number of religiously affiliated colleges and universities participating in NCAA sports, any such mandate would face tough, op tough opposition and likely be unworkable. Here's the key here. The NCAA also does not ban college athletes from events or championship competitions if their schools do not allow transgender athletes to compete on teams of the opposite sex. That's why when Idaho passed a bill last year similar to the bill in South Dakota, nothing of the sort happened in Idaho. Ladies and gentlemen, it appears to be a dodge by Christy Nome. It will not ban athletes in South Dakota from participating. That is factually inaccurate. That is not correct. So while I believe, to give you both sides, and I'm going to get to my second sponsor here, to give you both sides of it, while I believe Christy Nome may have a point with the loose legal language in the bill, and that could be changed to cover both and uh, women in men's sports too. So it doesn't seem like it's singling out men, uh, biological men and women's sports. And that can be fixed. I believe her framing of it last night on the Tucker Carlson thing that, oh, this is an NCA thing. It'll prevent South Dakota uh, residents and athletes from and colleges from competing in NCA sports. That's not true. That's not what the bill says. Read that piece of my newsletter by uh, Margot Cleveland. It's excellent. Bongino.com slash newsletter to subscribe to it. It's worth your time. This is going to become a hot issue in the next few days for a couple of reasons. That issue alone, biological men competing in women's sports, is huge. But secondly, Christy Nome was a rising star just a few weeks ago. Now seems to be a casualty of her own decision-making in the first battle of the 
GOP voters are tired of the BS war. All right. Coming back after this break, we got to cover this immigration crisis again, how it's degenerating badly. And President Trump, uh, former President Trump, has sensed an opportunity here, just like I said he would. All right, today's show brought to you by We the People Holsters. This is my actual We the People People Holster. We're living in uncertain times. People have come to realize the importance of the Second Amendment. If you're looking for the perfect accessory to go with that perfect firearm, get an American-made holster from my friends at We the People Holsters. Starting at just $40, We the People holsters are custom molded to fit your exact farm. You hear that? For you audio listeners, this is mine right here. They have thousands of options, including an amazing selection of printed holsters like my printed holster. Printed We the People right on it, right there. The proprietary clip design on the back allows for you to easily adjust the cant and the ride of the holster so it's comfortable and secure at all times. Love this holster. Took them on as a sponsor right away when they sent me a sample. I'm like, love this. This is for my uh, Glock 43. Go to wethepeopleholsters.com slash Dan. While you're there, check out their premium printed hoodies, long sleeve shirts, and their new EDC tactical gun belt, which comes paired with a patented Cobra buckle. Every holster and gun belt comes with a lifetime guarantee. If it's not perfect, send it back for a full round refund. Wethepeopleholsters.com slash Dan is how you get this great deal. Want an additional $10 off? Of course you do. Use offer code Dan. Get this terrific holster. You're not going to find one better out there. WeThePeopleHolsters.com slash Dan. WeThePeopleHolsters.com slash Dan. Check them out today. Again, this is mine. Get that click every time you need that security. WeThePeopleHolsters.com slash Dan. All right, back to the show. So, folks, have you heard of what uh, the um, metric called the social intelligence? I mean, we all know what an intelligence quotient is, right, in IQ. Have you heard of the social intelligence quotient? Social IQ is a fascinating concept. The idea that there are some people who are just naturals in a social situation, I've always attributed it to this. You ever been in a group of people, you're at some party or whatever it may be, and you only know a few people there. And I've been at these parties with my wife quite a bit. And, you know, my wife go off and talk to her friends, a couple guys who wind up circling around. Come on, you've all been there. You all know it. It's happened to you, right? And there's one guy you know, and like four or five you don't. And Guys naturally gravitate around the circle. You know the circle? <laughs> You've seen the circle, right? They all gravitate around the circle. A little bit of man space, whatever it is. It's a way to maximize man space while still being able to hear people. And you're talking in the circle, and there's always the one dude, that one cat in the circle, who just talks too much, and he doesn't seem to be able to see himself as other people see him. And everybody in the circle of dudes is uncomfortable. The circle, the circle of dudes. Remember the Lion King, the circle of life? It's a circle of dudes. I know my voice is terrible and I can't stop singing. I'm sorry, Joe. Joe is a professional musician. Joe is a talented singer, producer Joe. Not me. Oh, right. We're in, we're in this, right? <laughs> Off constantly, Dan Bongino. We're in the circle of dudes. And the one guy, Everybody knows he's talking too much but him. And right, you're thinking to yourself, why can't this guy shut up? Does he not know everybody's annoyed? Does he not see everybody like, uh, uh, uh. does he not see everybody looking around, checking their phones as the dude is talking? No, That's a person with a low social IQ. Is there anyone with a lower social IQ in politics or someone more awkward in a group of people than Kamala Harris. Is there anyone? Is there any? I'm serious. Is there anyone out there? She wouldn't be in the group of dudes. She'd be in a group of people and she's just constantly always awkward. Why is she always laughing? Why? What Tom Grabian over at the great, uh, excuse me, Tom Elliott at Grabian. That's a company puts together clips. Can you do a supercut? He has legendary supercuts. Follow him on social media. Tom Elliott. Can you do a supercut of inappropriate, weird Kamala Harris laughs? She's always like, ha, 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 ha. It makes me think of when, when I get blood taken, which given my recent health scare was sadly all too often, I hate getting blood taken. I'm a big wuss bag, okay? Huge wuss bag. On a scale of wisp bags with blood taken, if there's, if it's a, let's make it different than 100, if it's a 97.5 scale, I'm a 97.4 on the wisp bag scale. So when I go to get blood taken, I laugh inappropriately because if not, I'll probably cry. Yes, I hate it. And I, <laughs> and the needle goes in, you 
Why is Kamala Harris always laughing? What's so funny? It's weird. Video from yesterday. We have a massive crisis at the border, right? Massive crisis at the border. Hundreds of thousands of people we don't know entering the country illegally. The vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, has asked about it. And here we go again with low social IQ, Kamala Harris. <laughs> Check it out. Do you plan to visit the border? Uh, um, not today. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have before and I'm sure I will again. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't get it. What is she always laughing about? What's so funny? This is not funny. They go back and forth between laughing to like the euphemisms game. It's not a crisis. It's a circumstance. You don't believe me? Looks Fox News headline. Be in my newsletter today. The crisis at the border. Jen Psaki's new. What was her word the other day? Joe, you remember? Oh, Do you, you remember? The, what was her word the other day? Yeah. It wasn't circumstance. Challenge. What was challenge? Yeah. Challenge. Yes. Thank you, guys. The other day, it wasn't a crisis. Jen Psaki, White House spokeswoman. It wasn't a crisis. It was a challenge. Yeah. Uh, thank you, guys. The production team to the rescue. Fox News today uh, by Brooke Singman. Again, be in my newsletter. This, read this story. Border influx, not a crisis, but a circumstance. Now, it was a challenge. Today's a circumstance. What is it going to be tomorrow? Someone should ask Kamala, is it a, is it a challenge or a circumstance? She's going to be, ha, 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 Can you get a hold of yourself? My gosh, I don't mean to rant. I'm sorry. I can't. They play the euphemisms game. This Nobody does it worse than Democrats. I was going to say better because it is a skill, but it's worse because it's, it's tragic that they can't just tell you the truth. Here's Peter Ducey, who's been doing a great job as the White House correspondent for Fox News. Peter gives exactly zero rhymes with hits um, about playing this euphemisms game. And he tries to get Saki on the record about this crisis that's developing and watch her do the dance again. They can't answer a question about the crisis at the border. Check this out. So now that Border Patrol agents in the Rio Grande Valley are letting adult migrants go without even issuing notices to appear, is the immigration policy just becoming more of like the honor system? That is an inaccurate depiction of what's happening uh, at the border. So there's no change in policy. The border remains closed. Uh, families and single adults are being expelled under Title 42 and should not attempt to cross illegally. In the narrow, narrow circumstances in which families can't be expelled, the family is tested and quarantined as needed and placed in immigration proceedings to commence. In some cases, families are placed in removal proceedings further along in the release process. How did she answer that question? How is that an answer? Peter Ducey at the White House says, listen, we are letting people enter the country illegally to migrate to the United States and not follow any of our immigration laws. We're then releasing them into the country and asking them not to appear in court, but to contact ICE at a later date and set up your own court date. Are they, do they get to pick the judge too? Do they get to pick a guy from the neighborhood and give them like a gavel and be like, you're going to adjudicate my case, Tony. I mean, is, is this for real? And notice how she doesn't answer it at all. She goes right to the talking points. Washington Examiner piece. Trump gets what's going on. And I had said, if I don't know, last week or whatever, that Trump needs going forward. Forget this whole former presidents are supposed to stay quiet. That's not going to work. Those days are over. No one gave President Trump a honeymoon and Biden's not getting one either. Those days are now over. We're in a 24-7 news environment. The only foil with a microphone big enough to constantly call out Joe Biden's nonsense and get the media to cover it is Donald Trump. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I love my show. I love Levin's show, Hannity's show. I love Rush's show. I love all the shows out there. We do not even together because Shapiro's show have the combined voice that Donald Trump does to create the foil every time. We can cover it all the time, but Trump has, the media has to cover everything he says. Washington Examiner. Trump sees an opening to damage Biden on the border crisis. James Antle III, politics editor. He's a third. Interesting. 
W. James Anthony. For that. I, I, I don't know James Anthony, but that's a very serious sounding name. Trump gets it. There's no time to stay quiet. Forget that nonsense. Former presidents usually keep quiet. Nah, not in this case. Thanks. Whenever we see Biden do something stupid, which is just about every day, and Kamala <laughs> laugh about it, Trump should put out a statement. It should be a constant foil the entire time because no one else has a microphone big enough to get it into the mainstream media side like Donald Trump does. Brilliant strategy. Brilliant. All right, let me get to my third sponsor. And on the other side of this, I have been quiet about Spygate for a long time and Mike Flynn. But ladies and gentlemen, the framing of Mike Flynn is the most fascinating in a tragic way spy story I've ever heard. And we got some new information yesterday from John Solomon. I'm going to tie into a neat little ball for you showing how ugly the framing of Lieutenant General Mike Flynn really was. Now, Joe knows this story because he's heard it probably close to 5,000 times, although there is some new info on it. Yeah. He has not. So, Joe, I, I, I've never relinquished your audience ombudsman role. I'm going to have to turn it over to Gee for this segment and this segment only. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a one-time transfer. Be transferred right back. Because Gee hasn't heard it. Hi. And I want to see if he gets it. Everybody agree? Joe. I'm Gee. good. Everyone's trying, by the way, everyone's trying, who's Gee? Gee's the new video producer in the background. I got that question. I'm sorry. Maybe I should have introduced him. Sometime you got to come over and wave to the audience. Everybody knows Joe and Paula. That's who Gee is. The great Gee. All right. Today's show brought to you by our friends at BCM. We love BCM. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago. Bravo Company Manufacturing, or BCM for short. What do they build? They build professional-grade rifles built to combat standards. Folks, these are not sporting rifles. Sporting rifles are wonderful. If you're in the sporting firearms, you're into hunting, those are great rifles. But that's not what BCM builds. BCM believes the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless if you're a private citizen or a professional. Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company. What are they? They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. These are my go-to rifles. I have two of them. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, God forbid, it'll be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or soldiers overseas, so they understand how critical that moment is, and quality is all that matters to them. Every component of these terrific, spot-on, I'm always right on target. I have two of these. Every component of BCM rifles hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin to a life-saving standard. BCM puts people before their products. They want to make sure that their tools do not fail the end user. God forbid it's not a paper target, but someone coming to do you harm. Folks, BCM works. I love BCM. They work with the leaders uh, in, in American special ops, connecting them with other Americans. They're top instructors. Then teach the skills necessary to defend yourself, your family, or others. To learn more about BCM, Head on over to bravocompanymfg.com. Discover more about their products, offers, and upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. This is also one of their shirts, by the way. I love this shirt. You'll probably see me wearing it. Need more convincing? Find out more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. And check out the website again, bravocompanymfg.com. By the way, I have more than one of these shirts. Someone wrote me an email. Dan, you wear the same shirt sometimes twice a week. No, I love this shirt. I actually have like three or four of these. I can prove it to you. Maybe tomorrow I'll show you the three or four. I like this shirt. Americana. Watch it. Rumble.com slash Bongino. You can see the shirt. It's a BCM shirt. All right. The Mike Flynn story. It's back. It is back. We have not covered a lot of Spygate stuff. Hat tip blast from the past. My buddy, the greatest source in the history of law enforcement sources. He's back, Joe. Who is it? 279er. Ah. The 279er is back. For you new listeners who are like, who the hell's the 279er? 279 is a source of mine with a vast trove of law enforcement experience who almost single-handedly helped me break down the Spygate scandal and make it understandable. He's a genius. 
I met him once at a book signing in person. We try to minimize person-to-person contact. And he showed up, and he was real cryptic. He showed up. I had not seen his face. This is a true story in a book signing in Huntington. And he wrote in a book, 279. And I looked and recognized his voice right away. So what happened? What's going on and how does the greatest source in the history of law enforcement, the famous 279er, fit into this? Well, few people in modern history have been screwed over as badly by their government than Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Ah, that story's nothing new. Why are we talking about that now? Because just the news, John Solomon's excellent site, John Solomon, who's been all over Spygate as well, has a story that is just fascinating. From March 23rd, 22. Is, that, is today March 23rd? Yes, it is. This is from this morning. I didn't even realize that. FBI had doubts about the Russia informant's allegation that helped prompt Mike Flynn's probe. Stefan Halper's story of Flynn's trip with a Russian woman was deemed not plausible, not accurate. Ladies and gentlemen, bottom line up front, Mike Flynn was framed by the U.S. government by a source, the FBI. We now know, this is the breaking news portion of it, we now know the FBI deemed the source not even plausible. So now not only was Mike Flynn totally, completely screwed over, set up, and framed by the Obama administration. I'll give you the why in a moment. But he was done it. He was done and framed, done in by a source they deemed whose information they deemed not plausible and not accurate. Why was Flynn framed? Anybody remember in the listening audience? Audience archivist Judy, who's been there from the beginning. You're gonna have to sit this one out. For some of our newer listeners, you have any idea why Mike Flynn was framed and made to be out to be some Russian stooge when it was all. All of it was made up. Anybody? Because Mike Flynn had called out members of the intelligence community for what he felt was terrible tradecraft. Mike Flynn had a lot of enemies in the intelligence community. A lot. Flynn exposed their weakness when he was the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency under the Obama administration. Obama didn't like that either. Thought Flynn was kind of a know-it-all. Well, why else did they hate Mike Flynn? Because Mike Flynn was a big opponent of what? The Iran deal. He hated it. Iran deal? You just said he was Obama's DIA director. He was. You getting it? Kind of a disconnect? Obama. I love the Iran deal. Mike Flynn, Iran deal's no good. Let's not give money to death to America crowd. Not a good idea. Those two ideas were never, ever going to meld. So they hated Flynn. So they had to make sure Flynn was discredited. And what better way to discredit Flynn than to paint him as a Russian stooge? Gosh, that'll work out great. Now we find out the information they used to paint Flynn as a Russian stooge was deemed, quote, not plausible and not accurate. Read this story in my newsletter today. John Solomon's site. Again, Bongino.com slash newsletter to get these articles every day. Quote, five days before the FBI formally opened up the Michael Flynn probe in the summer of 2016, a confidential informant alleged to agents that Donald Trump's national security advisor, Flynn, had left the 2014 foreign meeting alone with a Russian woman. Oh my gosh, really? It goes on. FBI agents ultimately deemed the account not plausible and not accurate, but proceeded to investigate Flynn anyway. Newly declassified documents show. So folks, what happened to Flynn? Well, back in 2014, When Obama was still in charge, they wanted to discredit Flynn. They had to discredit Flynn. And then it came up later on, of course, that they would use this information to tie Mike Flynn to Donald Trump and the collusion hoax. So they needed anyone associated with Trump to be associated with Russia. Everybody digging? Gee, you digging? Audience ombudsman for this segment? They made up this fairy tale. Trump was colluding with the Russians. And they had to tie anyone around Trump to Russia, even if no tie existed. So they went back and said, oh, my gosh, I remember in 2014, Mike Flynn went to this seminar over at Cambridge University, 2014, when Obama was in charge. 
And it's weird. He left the event with a Russian woman, Svetlana Lakova. He did. Well, what happened? Well, apparently that information that they got from the source, Stefan Halper, about that interaction Flynn had with the Russian woman, they never deemed it plausible or accurate. Why? Because he didn't leave with the Russian woman. So now let's explain what really happened. I want you to pay very close attention here to two dates, August 10th and August 16th. So just to be crystal clear, Obama hates Flynn, hates him for the Iran deal, for calling out the Iran deal. Flynn then joins the Trump team. Flynn goes out and starts campaigning for Trump. Flynn then becomes public enemy number one on Diana Ball on steroids because now Obama really hates him. They have to make up the pee-pee cokes and the Russia hoax, and they got to find a way to tie Mike Flynn to Russia, even though they don't have it. So what happens? Well, on August 10th, the FBI opens up. This is from the IG report, by the way, up on the screen. By August 10th, 2016, the FBI had assembled an investigative team of special agents, analysts, and uh, supervisory special agents and conducted an initial analysis of the links between Trump campaign members and Russia. This is August 10th of 2016, in the heat of the presidential campaign. Based upon this analysis, the FBI opened individual cases on three U.S. persons, Papadopoulos, Carter Page, and Paul Manafort. So by August 10th of 2016, all of these efforts to tie Mike Flynn to Russia aren't working because they can't get the FBI, these political hacks trying to to frame Mike Flynn, they still can't get them to open up a case against Flynn because they don't have anything. All they have is this rumor back in 2014, he left an event with a Russian woman. Oh, oh, back to the IG report. This gets weird. So someone gets wind, apparently, that the FBI is not going to open up a case on Mike Flynn. Uh, They only opened up on Papadopoulos, Page, and Manafort. Well, what happened six days later? On August 16th, oh, the FBI did open up a fourth case on Mike Flynn under the Crossfire Hurricane Umbrella, who was serving at the time as the Trump campaign's national security advisor. So, ladies and gentlemen, what happens between August 10th when they don't open up a case on Mike Flynn, despite the people targeting Mike Flynn, almost demanding it be so, what happens on August 16th when they do open up a case? Keep in mind, why is this all hot as of August 10th? Because President Trump accepts the Republican nomination for president on July 21st, just a few weeks earlier. Now the FBI and the Spygate hoaxers and the collusion hoaxers and the PP tape hoaxers are in a full panic because they really have got to get Mike Flynn now, but they don't have anything. They don't have anything. So somebody working with these Spygate hoaxers, Christopher Steele, Stephen Halper, this network of people who are producing information for Fusion GPS, a Democrat-linked law firm, somebody gets wind and says, hey, they didn't open up a case on Mike Flynn. Oh, look what appears, folks. Look what appears. One of the Steele dossiers. You know, the Steele dossiers with the fake pee-pee stuff and all that other stuff. And look at this. Look how weird this is. In the summary section, it says Kremlin is engaging with several high-profile U.S. players, including Stein, Jill Stein, Carter Page, and former DIA director Michael Flynn, and funding their recent visits to Moscow. What's the date of this report? Oh, gosh, how did that happen? August 10th, 2016. Can you imagine what's happening right now in the FBI Spygate PP hoaxer office? They're like, the political people in the Obama administration and the Hillary Clinton campaign, it's the heat of the campaign in 2016, really need to take out Donald Trump. They're like, we got we to gotta just move with this collusion hoax and tie Trump to Russia. Trump doesn't have anything to do with Russia. It doesn't matter. We'll just make it up. We've got this Christopher Steele dossier. And don't worry, we haven't verified any of this stuff, but we'll just produce it. Okay, so we've got enough. The FBI opens cases on August 10th, but not on Flynn. Uh, uh, don't worry. We'll go to Steele. And a Steele dossier magically appears that same day implicating Michael Flynn to Russia. And it's what's really weird if you're watching the Rumble is you'll notice on that dossier that what's the one name, again, that's not capitalized in that Steele dossier? What's the one name? Is it Jill Stein, Carter Page? No, no, it's Michael Flynn. Where am I going with this? Is it possible that that Steele dossier 
when they got wind that the FBI wasn't going to open up a case on Mike Flynn, that the people who hated Flynn got pissed off and told the author of the Steele dossier, hey, you might want to throw Mike Flynn in there. And in their eagerness to throw him in that dossier at the last minute, they forgot to capitalize his name. Hmm. Strange, huh? And then mysteriously, after that dossier shows up, just six days later, the FBI starts opening up a case against Mike Flynn. Now, here's where our buddy 279er enters. This was an email he had sent to me a while ago. He's okay with me sharing. It's not his email address on there or anything. He was kind enough to cut the identifiers out. But he shared a pretty fascinating email with me about the timeline, about these key dates, August 10th and August 16th. He said, here's some bullets for you, Dan. August 10th, they go up on Paige, Manafort, and Papadopoulos. That means they got FISA. They're getting, uh, they, they got, uh, they put them in, and they were monitoring their transactions at that point, okay? August 10th, the dossier reports the names Flynn, obviously backdated at least a day or two. That's what he thinks. And Flynn was probably added based on the Halper meeting. Maybe. August 11th, the FBI meets with Halper in the office. August 11th to 15th, there's a meeting in Andy's office. Andy McCabe, the deputy director of the FBI. Remember that meeting, the insurance policy meeting? August 16th, they open up the case on Flynn. August 17th, they send FBI agent Joe Pianca to do that fake defensive briefing to Trump, Mike Flynn, and Chris Christie. August 10th through August 16th, this is when the whole plan materializes to go after Trump and Flynn and the insurance policy was a number of things, I believe, but I believe one component was they were always going to link Flynn to Russia. And when they couldn't find anything, they went back to the 2014 Cambridge University event where Mike Flynn was at the event and supposedly left in a cab with Svetlana Lakova. I want to get back to that in a minute. I want to read my last sponsor and I want to tie this up for you. How no one in modern history has been screwed over by their government, law enforcement entities in our government, as bad as General Mike Flynn. Our last sponsor today. Saying what? And huh? Over and over again? MD Hearing Aid is an FDA-registered digital hearing aid that costs a fraction of what typical hearing aids cost. The average price of a hearing aid in America is over $2,400 a pair. But their Volt Plus model is just $299.99 each when you buy a pair. That's nearly 90% less. MD Hearing Aid was founded by an ENT surgeon who saw how many of his patients needed hearing aids but couldn't afford them. He made it his mission to develop a quality hearing aid anyone could afford. My father's new uh, go-to. Their sleek design fits so well, no one will even know you're wearing it. Plus, it's rechargeable with battery life that lasts up to 30 hours. If you forget to take your hearing aids off in the shower, don't worry. The Vault Plus is waterproof and up to three feet of water. You don't even need a prescription or a doctor's appointment. You buy it directly from them with audiologists and licensed hearing specialists available seven days a week. Since about 95% of the people who need a hearing aid only require a few settings, MD Hearing Aid simplified the need for certain components not needed by most people. Brilliant. MD Hearing Aid has brought affordable hearing to over 600,000 satisfied customers. They have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, and they offer a 45-day risk-free trial with 100% money-back guarantee so you can buy them with confidence. It's time to reclaim your life from hearing loss. Go to mdhearingaid.com and use promo code BONGINO to get their buy one, get one, $299.99 each offer. Plus, they are adding a free extra charging case, $100 value, just for listeners of The Dan Bongino Show. So head to mdhearingaid.com, use our promo code Bongino, or you can even call them at 1-800-734-9524. That's 1-800-734-9524. Check them out today. Okay. So getting back to this, folks, Flynn was framed because Obama hated him. Flynn was then framed again because they hated Trump and needed to take him out before the election. And they needed to tie Flynn to Russia, but they didn't have any way to tie Flynn to Russia. So they went back to a 2014 seminar where this 
what do we go? I mean, what's the euphemism they're using for Stefan Halper as a spy? A confidential informant said Flynn got in a car with a Russian woman in 2014. That's the extent of his collusion with Russia. So back to the John Solomon's piece. This problem with that story is number one, getting in a car with a Russian woman is not illegal. Or uh, there's nothing wrong with that in, in the circumstance they described. But the problem with the story is it didn't even happen. This is what we now know from the John Solomon piece. The CHS, so alleged to be Halper, the confidential human source, related an incident he witnessed when Crossfire Razor spoke at this Cambridge event. The CHS was unsure of the date, but noted that Flynn was still in his position with the intelligence community. The informant report relayed that the, uh, the CHS told the team that after Flynn spoke and socialized with, it's assumed to be Lakova, over dinner and drinks, Flynn got a cab to take, uh, the, the woman got a cab to take Flynn to the train station to bring her to London. The event Flynn attended in 2014 was part of the Cambridge Intelligence Seminar. It says that this source, believed to be Halper, stated that a woman, Svetlana Lakova, surprised everyone and got into Flynn's cab and joined Flynn on the train ride to London. The CHS stated that he's somewhat suspicious of Lakova. She's been affiliated with several prominent members of Redacted. The source believes Lakova's father may be a Russian oligarch living in London. Oh my gosh! Flynn got in a cab with a Russian woman whose dad was Russian. Well, what's the problem with that story? The problem with that story, ladies and gentlemen, is it never happened. Multiple witnesses showed that Flynn didn't get in a car with Svetlana Lakova at all. As a matter of fact, Svetlana Lakova's boyfriend has already repeatedly stated that he picked her up from the event. That'd be kind of awkward, getting in the car with the Russian woman and the boyfriend. Be really awkward considering that never actually happened. And what's even more awkward is if that confidential human source is Stefan Halper, as many reporters believe it to be, how would Stefan Halper know that Mike Flynn got into a cab with a Russian woman if he wasn't there? Any ideas how, how we would know that? No, no, none for Joe. Any ideas how how nah. how we would know that if he wasn't actually <laughs> remote viewing? Him? I don't know. None, no. None. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's more plausible than that story you figuring out what happens now obama hates flynn trump gets the nomination for the republican party in july everybody at the fbi and the obama administration panics they panic even more when the guy they hate mike flynn joins the trump team and starts campaigning for him now they really got to take Trump and Flynn down. They can't find anything connecting either of them to Russia. So the FBI goes back to a source they've been using, believed to be Halper. Halper says, yes, yes, I've got something. He, Flynn got in a cab in 2014 with a Russian woman, and her dad was Russian. The FBI, we now know, this is the part breaking, said that one of their agents, this guy Barnett, Agent Barnett, said, that information's not credible about Flynn getting in the cab. We don't believe that. Doesn't even matter. They open up a case anyway on August 16th because magically this dossier appears saying Flynn's working with Russians. We think that appears the same day that the FBI doesn't open up a case against Flynn. I guess as insurance, maybe an insurance policy. Oh, that happened the same week too. Maybe as insurance that they would open up a case against Mike Flynn. Is there anyone in America who's been screwed over worse than Lieutenant General Mike Flynn by his own peeps? The answer? I don't think so. It's disgusting. Read that story by John Solomon if you want to get even more aggravated at what happened to Mike Flynn. All right, I promised you yesterday I covered this is my last story, and then we do have a real Real hero of the day. Sometimes we play it sarcastically, but this one's the real deal. You're not going to want to miss it. 
I told you I just mentioned this story. It's it's an important one. Wall Street Journal had a fascinating story, changing gears a bit about the housing boom. Excuse me, going on right now. Folks, if you live anywhere in Florida, the housing prices down here are through the roof. There is a house in a neighborhood not far from me that was on the market for like $2 million or something. I live near this water place, so anything on the water is expensive in Florida. And obviously there's limited amounts of land. The house, I think, just sold a year ago. The house is back on the market for $4 million. A little bit of a markup, a little bit. Prices down here are crazy. They're insane. Florida is like, it's like the Wild West for housing again. People, it's a, remember they were like, go out West and we'll, you can take a claim to this land. That's what's happening in Florida. Except there's no claim you got to pay for. It. So my wife and I need a bigger studio. So we're looking around. And we've been asking real estate people like, hey, is this market ever going to calm down? And shockingly, a number of real estate folks I talked to said, maybe not. Well, here's why. So if you're in the market for a house and you're waiting for this downturn, it may happen. I mean, maybe or maybe just asymptote off and, and, and not rise as much. But the journal has an interesting piece. The pandemic ignited a housing boom. But it's different from the last one. It says residential home sales are hitting peaks last seen in 2006 before the bubble burst. But this time, mortgages are stricter, down payments are higher, and a tight supply is supporting prices. Yes, the real estate people told me this. Folks, remember the housing crisis last time in 2006? It was obvious what happened. People bought a lot of home, a lot of home they couldn't afford. Prices came down. People were underwater, had negative equity in their homes, had to get out. They And when they got out, they had nothing left. So you put down, say, $100,000 on a million-dollar home in 2006. The million-dollar home after the market crashes is worth 600000 You don't have enough. You owe 900000 on the home. The home's only worth 600000 Even if you sell it, you're still down 300000 because you still got to pay the bank. Well, the real estate people were telling me that's different now. Quote from the journal piece. Here's what's going on. Buyers have higher credit ratings these days. They're flusher and are putting down more cash up front. On $1 million purchases, people are putting down $500,000, this realtor said. You didn't see that before. In 2020, sales of previously owned U.S. homes surged to their highest level in 14 years, and many economists forecast sales to rise again this year. So folks, it, I, listen, I, it, the worst part about predicting economics and economic crises and booms and busts is that old line that they're like, yeah, great economists, you know, they've picked, uh, they've forecasted 22 out of the last three recessions. Anybody can say anything about it. There's going to be a recession. Eventually you'll be right. I'm giving you both sides because I don't know what's going to happen with the market, obviously, but I'm reasonably confident if we do have a decrease in housing prices, it's not going to be the collapse it was in 2006 because people who were underwater in their homes in 2006 because they didn't put enough money down, like the example I just gave you, were obviously in a rush to get out or got foreclosed upon because they had nothing in the home. Even if property values go down 20% now and you have a million-dollar home and you put down $500,000, you still have equity in the house. Where are you going to leave for? There's not going to be any rush to sell or get out or for banks to foreclose. We'll see what happens. All right, folks, a sad story. You heard about the tragedy in Boulder. Some maniac walks in, starts shooting up a King Super supermarket. I mean, these these stories are tough to talk about. We're still waiting to hear what happened, motivation. One of the suspects is uh, a suspect is in custody. So I'm sure we'll get more news about this story. And I'll, of course, I'll cover it as the. Um, as that news materializes. But I just wanted to put up the social media post by the Boulder Police Department. We lost a real hero. Matter of fact, in honor of this hero, there'll be no more heroes this week because this is our hero of the week, not just the day. Officer Eric Talley, T-A-L-L-E-Y, ran in while the shooting was going on, um, tragically lost his life. A father of seven, Boulder Police Department, put up a post saying, rest in peace, Officer Eric Talley. Your service will never be forgotten. You can see the photo of this hero there. 
But just a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, that, you know, when those rounds start whizzing by people's heads and tragic incidents like this, you know, everybody's running away, which is the smart thing to do. There are very few people running towards that gunfire. And those people are almost always the police officers. And because of that decision to do that and to try to stop this tragedy, Officer Talley lost his life. Seven children never see their dad again. So uh, rest in peace. You are our hero of the day and the week. Thanks for your service. We'll see you all tomorrow. You just heard Dan Bongino.